Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. The reading this morning is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, begins in verse 11. So if you have a Bible, please uh, follow along. Hear God's word. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, For sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, that's what I want to hear, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is God's word. Go ahead and dismiss now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything that's better than that. That's it. I, um, I, I have been so encouraged by this passage. Uh, not just this past week, but the Lord's had me in this passage, soaking in this passage now since January. So uh, this has just, this has been something that God's um, had on my heart now for months. And um, and it's the perfect message for where we are in our series. We've we've started a series uh, two weeks ago called Unshakable. And the, the premise for this series is I started asking this question, what would make the people of God, our church, unshakable, no matter what we face in this life, no matter what we go through, no matter what 2021 looks like, what would make us unshakable? And the simple answer, as I looked at the life of Paul in particular, because he's somebody who went through it all. Right? He, he went to prison, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. He went through it all, and the, and the guy was unshakable. Even in prison, chained to a wall, he's singing praises, he's writing encouraging letters to his friends saying, hey, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. What made Paul so unshakable? And the simple answer is this, he was rooted in the gospel of grace. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ 
called him, chose him, set his affections on him, loved him, and perfected him. And so that's what this series has been about. The first week we looked at the difference between being um, under the law, the old, the old covenant of the law, versus being under grace, this new covenant. And it's an entirely different way of living. It's an entirely different way of relating to God. And then the second week, we looked at uh, how do we live in this new covenant? How do we live by the Spirit in this new covenant? And the answer to that was we live by faith. We live by faith every day. Faith isn't something that you do one time and then you're, you're a Christian, but then you walk away from Faith is something that you live by daily, hour by hour. And so this week, we're looking at this. What is the greatest privilege that we have been given in this new covenant? Like, why is it a privilege that we've been forgiven of our sins? Let's ask that question. Why is it so good that we've been forgiven of our sins? And the answer is that we have been given access to God. We have been given full access to the very manifest presence of God. We're not just talking about how God is, God is everywhere, right? He's omnipresent, and so no matter where you go, you're in the presence of God in one sense. But we're talking about, in the Scriptures, we see that in, in particular places, He puts His glory on display. He puts his, a concentration of His presence in a place. And that is His manifest presence. And believers, because of this new covenant, we've been given access to His presence. 1 Peter 3.8 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. We have been given access to God Himself, to what human beings were created for. So, Pray with me one more time, and let's jump into this. Father, of our own strength, of our own faculties, we cannot appreciate this good news. We can't truly rejoice in this good news unless you give us the strength to comprehend it, unless you help us to see its beauty. Lord, so would you do that today? I trust that you will. I know that you will. You will open hearts this morning, Lord, by your word. You will help some in this room to see, maybe for the first time, what's really available to them through Jesus. And I thank you for that. I pray it, God, for every one of us. Help us. Help us to see with eyes of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start out by talking about how the way things used to be. So in the beginning, God created human beings and He placed them in a paradise garden. And before sin, before human beings rebelled against God's will and His ways, they were allowed access to the very presence of God. It says that God would walk with them in the cool of the day. So these human beings created by God were given perfect access to God and a relationship with Him, an intimacy with Him. And then sin entered into the picture and God is a perfectly holy God. Perfect. And so because of His perfect holiness, He could not be in the presence of sin. And so sin separated human beings from the presence of God because of His holiness. But God immediately began to unfold His plan. And His plan was to give His people access back into His presence. And so He created a way for that to happen, the old covenant of the law. God knew that only His presence can satisfy the souls of human beings. Here's what it says in Psalm 42 too. My soul thirsts for God, 
for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then in Psalm 16:11 it says, "You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore." We were made for the presence of God. And so our souls are longing for his presence, longing to be in his presence again, even when we don't recognize it. Even when we think that what we really want is something else, and we frequently do, we turn to other things, to the next gadget, or to some sin, or to some relationship, or to that job promotion, or to whatever it is, we, we convince ourselves, this is what I really need in order to be satisfied. And then what happens each and every time? We're not satisfied. And so we look for the next thing and the next thing, and we are on a lifelong chase to be satisfied when only one thing will satisfy our souls, the very presence of God. And so God sets up this old covenant, and He gives His people, the Israelites, a gift. He gives them the tabernacle, also known as the tent of meeting. This is a little picture of the tabernacle, so you can kind of picture it. It has an outer courts, and and God's people, the Israelites, would be encamped all around this tabernacle. And the Israelites could come in, and they could offer sacrifice, and they could come close to the presence of God, because the tabernacle is where God's presence was. Look at Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews uh, 9, 10 mostly. So if you got your Bible, please open it up and look at this uh, with me. Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 3, says this. Now, even the first covenant, that's the, the covenant of the law, had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. So, this, this tent, as you would come into it, was divided into two parts. And the first part that you walk into was called the holy place. And um, that's where it had these various uh, items. They all had significance, which we're not going to get into today. But then look at verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Now, in that Second section, behind the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the very manifest presence of God dwelled above the Ark of the Covenant. And so, the gift of the tabernacle was a gift of God's presence among His people. And He set this up so that His people, sinful though they were, could be near to Him, to a holy God. What was His presence like? in this most holy place? Well, we can get an idea from Exodus. At the end of Exodus, um, after the tabernacle is all set up, in Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, that may not say a lot to you. But when you think about this, this Moses is the same Moses who, when God descended onto Mount Sinai to give the covenant of the law, he descended on this mountain and and there was a, a cloud and fire and the ground was trembling And the people of God were terrified, and it was declared, if anyone comes and sets foot on this mountain, they will be killed. And God's presence was terrifying, right? And yet Moses is the one, the only one, who walks up the mountain into this presence. And that same Moses, when God's glory comes down into the temple, it says, he was not able to enter. Because of it. 
Man, it must have been incredible. It must have been amazing when his presence filled the holy place in the temple. And so God gives the tabernacle where his presence dwells. And God gives priests. Look at Hebrews 9, 6 with me. It says, These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. So God establishes priests who act as mediators between his people and himself. And these mediators, they make sure that everything is done exactly to the the rules and the regulations that God has laid out so that they can approach his presence. And these priests were from uh, the tribe of Levi. They were Levites. And these priests would have to offer sacrifices for their sins, for the sins of the people, so that they could perform their duties. They would wear special garments, priestly robes, that would show that they were set apart for this holy service. And they would have to wash with water from a wash basin in order to perform their their duties. And the, the priests would be allowed only into this first section, the first section of the tabernacle, unless unless you were the high priest. And there was only one high priest. And the, only the high priest and only one time a year could pass through that curtain into the very presence of God. And so this one high priest, one time in a year, would offer a sacrifice to be able to go in to that place. Look at verses Seven, uh, look at verse, yeah, seven and eight in chapter nine. But into the second, the second section of the tabernacle, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So the holy so the so the high priest gets to go in one time a year and these high priests would wear bells on the ends of their robe so that when they walked it made a sound. And the reason they did this is because when they came walking into the presence of God, the very presence of God, if anything was not done exactly as prescribed, then this high priest would drop dead on the spot. And they would have a rope tied around his leg so that the priests who were back in the holy place wouldn't have to go in and also be be smitten. They They would have this rope and pull the high priest out of the most holy place. And we think, man, what a burden. What a burden to be the high priest. No, no. We forget. In his presence is fullness of joy. There is no place better on earth. And so this high priest was incredibly privileged. Whatever the risks involved, it was worth it because he would be allowed into the very manifest presence of God. And in order to do so, he had to offer sacrifices to cover his own sins, and to cover the sins of the people as he went in to represent the people of God before the presence of God. So God sets up a tabernacle. He sets up the priests. And then he sets up sacrificial system, a system of sacrifices. In Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God told Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, if you eat from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat, you will surely die. If you rebel against me, go against my word, you will surely die. Sin, the penalty for sin, is death. The wages of sin is death. And so God sets up a a system so that the people of God can offer a substitute sacrifice, another life in place of, of their own, so that their sins can be forgiven. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 22. It says, Indeed, under the law, 
Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so maybe you wonder, what's the deal with all of the blood? What's the deal with the sacrifices? Well, the sacrifices, the shedding of blood was for the forgiveness of sins. And so God allows people, His chosen people, to come with a lamb or a goat or a bull or some sacrifice and offer that in place of themselves so that that animal could take their sins, their guilt, on itself and then pay the price of death. So, if you're a covenant member of Israel, you could come in with your gift, with your offering. You could enter into this outer courts and you would, you would come up to, your, to the priest and you would show the priest your animal, your lamb, let's say. And as you're giving your lamb to the priest, your mind isn't thinking about what you're wearing or how you look or even how you acted that day or that week. The one thing that's on your mind is, is my offering acceptable? Is my sacrifice acceptable? You see, you couldn't bring in an animal that you didn't want, a lame animal, an animal with blemishes. It had to be spotless. It had to be perfect. And so your one thought was, will my sacrifice be enough? Will my sacrifice be acceptable? And if it was, then the priest would say, this is an acceptable sacrifice. And the priest would then take it and slaughter the animal and offer it on the altar in place of you, of you so that your sins could be forgiven. But there's a problem. Look at Hebrews 9, 9. It says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. This system, the sacrificial system, was not able to take away sins. We, we find out that this system was actually in place to point to something coming down the road, something better. It was to show what He would do. And so their conscience could not be perfected. So imagine, put yourself in this scenario. You come in with your lamb, and you give it to the priest, and the priest says, accepted. And he sacrifices the lamb. And right there in that moment, you experience the gift of forgiveness. And you say, yes, God, thank you. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. Oh, it feels so good to be clean before you, God, to have a clear conscience before you. And you leave and you start walking home. And on your way home, you look over at a, at a neighbor's tent and you start to covet your neighbor's tent. You go, wow, that's a good tent. Wow. I really like that one or your neighbor's wife or you lose your cool with your kids and you yell at your kids and you outburst of anger and now all of a sudden this burden of guilt is back on you and you think oh no i've got to offer another lamb and so this old system was impossible to really cleanse the conscience of the worshipers it was impossible. Why? Because it didn't really do away with sin. And sin is the thing that keeps us from real communion with a living God. It is the problem. And so the old covenant of the law was temporary. It was meant to point to a better new covenant that was to come. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verses 10 through 12. It says, For this is the covenant, the new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. God is saying in this new covenant, 
everyone is going to know me personally. Personally, this isn't talking about head knowledge. This isn't talking about the accumulation of facts. This is talking about an intimate knowledge. He says, this is the beauty of this new covenant that I'm going to make with my people. Everyone, all of my people will know me intimately. How is he going to do that? How is a holy God going to allow sinful people to know him intimately? Look at the next verse. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And so God, a holy God, says, this is the new covenant. You're going to know me intimately. You're going to, in order to know him, you must be near him, right? From a distance, you can learn facts and you can learn knowledge, but that's not the same as what he's talking about. He's talking about closeness, interaction, a real living relationship. And in order to have closeness, there must be forgiveness of sins. In the book of Hebrews, the the writer of Hebrews brings up this command four times to draw near to God. And each time, this is what he has in mind. He's thinking, God's people have been given access to God himself. And so they need to be encouraged to draw near to God. What is it that stops us? Sin. And that's why he says, I will remember their sins no more. But how? How would God accomplish such a thing? Look at Hebrews 9.26. Hebrews 9.26 says, in the second half of that verse, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen. This is how God is going to allow sinful human, human beings into his very presence. He's going to offer a substitute, a better sacrifice than bulls and lambs. He's going to offer himself to put away sin. That's how a holy God forgives sins. He takes the punishment for the sins upon Himself. But how do we receive this incredible gift that's being offered? Flip over to Hebrews 10 and verse 38. It says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. My righteous one shall live by faith. Faith. Why? Because God counts faith as righteousness. The final draw near command in Hebrews is in Hebrews 11, where it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe. You cannot draw near to God, you cannot approach his very presence apart from faith. Now, having said all of that, the foundations are laid for my five points. Don't worry, they're pretty quick. I've already, I've already made the case for most of these. So point number one is this. Your soul cannot be satisfied by anything other than God's presence. So just to reiterate that, Whether we realize it or not, this is what we are all longing for. With every craving of our soul, with every purchase, with every weekend, with every vacation, with every new relationship, with every sin, with everything that we pursue other than God Himself, this is what we're really craving, the very presence of God. Our our souls thirst for God, for the living God. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. So nothing but the presence of God can ever truly satisfy our souls. So that's point one. Point two is this. You can't draw near to his presence apart from faith. 
What we just read, Hebrews eleven six, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever, that covers all of us, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews uses the word confidence or synonyms for the word confidence again and again to talk about this faith that we need in order to be able to draw near to a holy God. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Or even in our text from today, um, in verse 22 of chapter 10, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You must have faith to approach, to come near to the presence of God. So that's my second point. First point, your soul cannot be satisfied by anything other than God's presence. Second point, you can't draw near to His presence without faith. Third point, you can't have full faith without a clear conscience. I want to show you this. Look at the second half of Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You cannot have the full assurance of faith as long as you are covered in guilt. To make this point, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah finds himself in a vision. He finds himself in the very throne room of God, not the earthly tabernacle, not that, not that most holy place, but in the actual heavenly tabernacle that the earthly tabernacle is meant to picture. He finds himself there in the very throne room. The prophet Isaiah has this reaction to that in Isaiah 6, verses 5 and seven through 7. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. His reaction, woe is me, means judgment unto me. What he's saying is, I'm going to be crushed. Here's what happens. As you approach, as you get closer and closer to the presence of holiness, what happens is you become more and more aware of your own sinfulness, of how far from holy you are. And Isaiah, when he finds himself right there in the very presence of God, he says, woe is me, judgment unto me, I'm going to be crushed, I'm undone. But look what God does for him. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So what does God do for Isaiah? He cleanses him. He takes his guilt away. And it's only after that that Isaiah can get up off of the ground and stand up in the presence of God and then hear what God has to say and be sent out. We cannot have full faith without a clear conscience. Why? Because guilt destroys faith. Guilt destroys faith. So much so that Paul warns his protege, Timothy, Young pastor, he says, in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, he says to Timothy, wage the good warfare. How do you do that? Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. How did they make shipwreck of their faith? They didn't keep a clear conscience. They didn't keep a clear conscience. And guilt destroys faith. Under the law, can you ever truly experience a clear conscience? 
No. Again, Hebrews 9, 9 that we read just a few minutes ago. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Under this old arrangement, you could never truly have a clear conscience. And then look at Hebrews 10 and verses 1 through 4. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it, the law, can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, not, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So under the old covenant, God's people had to continually offer sacrifices to try and deal with this guilt because of their sins. And so, working back through my points Your soul cannot be satisfied by anything other than the presence of God. You cannot draw near to the presence of God without faith. You cannot have faith without a clear conscience. And then point number four, you cannot have a clear conscience unless your sin is atoned for. Do you see that in verse four of chapter 10? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what he's arguing is that the reason that they always have a consciousness of sins is because their sins couldn't really be taken away with these sacrifices. In other words, you can't have a clear conscience just because you want one. Your sins actually have to be dealt with. Your sins really, before God, have to be put away. And in this old covenant, they couldn't be. And so... You cannot be satisfied by anything other than God's presence. You can't draw near to His presence without faith. You can't have faith without a clear conscience. You can't have a clear conscience unless your sin is atoned for. My final point, your sins cannot be atoned for without a sufficient sacrifice. Hebrews 10.11 tells us that the priests continued to have to offer these animal sacrifices which can never take away sins. So what does all of this mean? What does all of this mean? Well, it means that if we just had a sufficient sacrifice, our sins could be atoned for. They could be put away. And if our sins could be atoned for, we could have a perfectly clear conscience. And if we had a perfectly clear conscience, we could have full faith. And if we could have full faith, we could come into His presence to worship Him. And if we could come into His presence to worship Him, then our souls could be truly satisfied and we could have fullness of joy. It all hinges on a sufficient sacrifice. And so, church, I have good news for you. A sufficient sacrifice has been made. So what is our confidence? How do we come into the presence of a holy God without the feeling of guilt then unbelief rising up in our hearts as we approach closer and closer to holiness? Here is our confidence, church. Number one, We have a perfect sacrifice. Look at Hebrews 10, 12, and 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. To sit down signifies that he is done working. He has finished the job by his own sacrifice Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
Yes, it's true that under the law, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins. But under the new covenant of grace, the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ is enough. It is sufficient. His blood spilled is enough to take away sins. And so this is our first confidence as we approach a holy God is that as we come close to the heavenly tabernacle, we don't come with a lamb or a goat. We come with the body of Jesus. And we look at our altar over there to the side, and it's not the kind of altar that was set up in the old covenant, but it's a cross where our Savior died, where He took our place, where He became our substitute, and all of our sins were placed on Him. What other, what other confidence do we have as we approach this throne of grace? We have a perfect high priest. As we come walking up to this heavenly tabernacle, we don't see a high priest that's like us, that's just a plain, normal human being. We see the glorified, risen Son of God And he's standing there in his priestly robes, in his priestly garments. Look at Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we come approaching the very presence of God and we see our great high priest, he is a merciful high priest, a compassionate high priest, One who is overjoyed to see us coming up. That's who he is. He's able to sympathize with our weakness. He is a perfect high priest. And so we have a perfect sacrifice. We have a perfect high priest. And then as we approach, our high priest takes some of his own blood off of the altar. And he comes over and he sprinkles his own blood on us. Why? Because, look at Hebrews 9 and verse 14. It says this, How much more, more than the, the blood of sacrificed animals, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What does that mean to purify your conscience from dead works? What are dead works? Dead works are works that are done to try and justify you before God. Dead works are works that are done not by faith, not out of your acceptance, not by faith in Jesus, but in hopes that your good works will justify you before God. Those are dead works. But the blood of Jesus, which cleanses our conscience, And lets us know I am loved and accepted by grace. It is not my own doing, but it is the gift of God. Now I can go. I can do works to the glory of God that are acceptable to Him because they're done in faith. They are actually Him doing the works through me. We talked about that last week. His blood is perfect, cleansing me from guilt. Hebrews 10, 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, this is our confidence. Our high priest sprinkles us with his own blood. So when I stand before God, I am perfectly cleansed, perfectly pure. This means it doesn't matter what anybody wants to put on you. No guilt can stay on you if you are a child of God. You are free before God, acceptable before God, not because you deserve it, not because of what you have done, but because of the perfect blood of Jesus. 
Yes, it's good news. So we have a perfect sacrifice, a perfect high priest, perfect blood. Do we need anything else? He gives us more. After sprinkling me with his blood, my great high priest looks at me. He looks me in the eye and he says, your sins are forgiven, my child. I will remember your sins no more. My high priest makes a perfect covenant promise to me. And so how, how do I know? How do I know that I can believe that promise, that I can rest on that promise when I don't feel like my sins are forgiven? How do I know? What can I stand on? Look at 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is a God who has never broken a promise, and he never will. He cannot go back on his word. And he makes a promise to you. Your sins are forgiven, child. I will remember them no more. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. We don't need another offering. It is finished. It was a one-time offering to cleanse us forever. (laughs) So here I am coming to the presence of God. I have a perfect sacrifice. There is nothing wrong with my lamb. I have a perfect high priest. He bids me come. I have perfect blood cleansing me, divine blood cleansing my heart. And I have a perfect covenant promise. And as I stand outside of the tabernacle where any Israelite that wasn't one of the priests would have to stop and peer in. That was as close as they could get. As I peer into the heavenly tabernacle, where I would expect to see the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place, what do I see? Look at 19 and 20 with me. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his blood. When Jesus died on the cross, the gospel accounts say, that the the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And in heaven, the curtain is torn in two. The way into the most holy place, the very presence of God that only one high priest could go and only one time a year is opened for me. And Jesus, my high priest, I just imagine him taking me by the hand and saying, Let's go on in. I've opened the way for you. We don't have to stop short of the very presence of God. We have been granted full access into God's presence. And it is not because of anything I've done or anything I could ever do. It's all because of Jesus. It's his sacrifice. It's his blood. He is my high priest. He gives me the perfect promise. His flesh was torn to open the way. It is all Jesus, only Jesus. And so my confidence rests not in me, but in him. Church, this is the access we've been given. And we stop short. We stop short. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. When we come into His presence, He fills us. He energizes us. He anoints us. He sends us like He sent Isaiah. This is what we were made for, church. Look at what it cost Him to give this to us. 
Let's not stop short. Let's come with full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Let's believe that He is enough. Band, you can come on back up. I want us to respond to this with singing, with worship. But before we start, I just want to give you an invitation. If you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus, the perfect Savior, the the one who was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest, who spilled his perfect blood, who gives you a perfect covenant promise. If you've never believed in him, you can do that today. You can put your trust in him today and you can be saved and he will look at you and declare to you, you are forgiven. And if you're one of his people and you have trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you, trust him afresh. Do not shrink back. Believe again today afresh and enter into his very presence. We don't have to go to a tabernacle somewhere. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We, by faith, turn and look to Jesus and come into the very presence of God. So pray with me as we begin to respond in worship. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being enough. Thank you for being the sacrifice for us. Thank you for taking the punishment we deserved. Thank you for living a perfectly righteous life. Thank you for being a good high priest, a perfect high priest who always lives to intercede on our behalf. Thank you for taking your blood and sprinkling our conscience. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Lord Jesus, we ask for help. Would you usher us into the very presence of God. Spirit of God, come and move mightily among your people. Bind up the brokenhearted. Heal wounds, God. Heal guilty consciences. Cleanse guilty consciences. Lord, let us stand up in your presence like Isaiah, knowing my guilt is taken away. My sins have been atoned for. And I can come into your presence with singing. Help us, Holy Spirit. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. Move among us, Holy Spirit. Change us right now in your presence. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen.